Thanks so much for being here. Uh, we've been walking through the story of what started out as Elijah, and remember we talked about how God whispered in his lowest of lows, Elijah heard from God and gave him the encouragement that he needed, and then gave him some specific instructions to go and call a man named Elisha, which is what we looked at last week, the calling of Elisha, the calling that God's even placed on all of our lives as well. So now we've moved from Elijah to now Elisha, a prophet of God that does so many wonderful things on behalf of God, giving messages, but helping and healing and doing miracles. Pretty incredible story reading through Elisha, and that's what we're gonna be looking at this morning. But I've gotta tell you, in our household, as we've been navigating what summer looks like now with all of our current realities, we decided we were just gonna spend as much time as possible being in our neighborhood pool in the lake. Those just seemed like good ideas. No matter what, we just need to be in water, let's hang out, we can social distance and fine, and we're not cooped up with three of our kids all in the same house constantly all day long. So we have been doing just that. We've been out in the pool and hanging out, and my youngest daughter, Collins, uh, she's been sort of learning to swim. She did her first ever swim lessons this summer and learned how to like blow bubbles in the water. She's doing really well. But if you've got kids, you know that your kids fall into one of two categories when it comes to water. They are super timid and afraid, like, I don't even want to get in. They get really nervous about it. Or they are overly confident of, like, water, Psh, what's that going to do to me? Collins is on this side that says, oh, I've got this. Oh, I'm not worried about this at all. Dad, sit back and watch me do my thing with water. And she's three. Now, being this overprotective father that I am, I'm, I'm like hovering around like crazy. Like, no, 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 you can't do that. No, you can't jump down in there. No, you can't swim yet. But I, I, I was able to get a picture of what just, man, this is her when it comes to swimming at the pool. Check this out. This is what she looks like all the time. She takes that floaty off because she's too big for the floaty right now. And before it's even like, are you ready? It's just like, here I go, world. And just full on, I showed her this picture last night because I have to get her, and anytime I use my kids as an illustration, I need to ask their permission, I'm told. So I went to her and I said, Collins, can I use this picture? And she says, is that my belly flop picture? I said, yes, that's your belly flop picture. Every picture of her in the pool is a belly flop picture. But what that picture shows is her confidence. She is just jumping full out, arms out, no cares, no worries. She's got it. Even though she can't touch, and even though she really can't swim that well, in that moment of leaping in the air, she's got it. And then as soon as she hits the water, she has a few. We tell her to do the circles. You know, you learn the circles, and then the little pizza or the, the ice cream scoops, and then you go to the bigger scoops. So she's got the circles a little bit down, but here's the problem she's currently in. She can't breathe when she swims. So she swims underwater a little bit, but then she realizes, oh, I've run out of air. So this is when frantic mode for Collins kicks in. So then she barely gets her head above water and she hasn't figured out the whole tread water thing. So she comes up, barely gets a breath, but is, and then she goes back down and her arms are just a moving and her feet are kicking till she runs out of air again. It is, and then she goes back down. It's a little, I mean, I'm not endangering my children, so please don't take it this way. But you sit back and you kind of watch this of like, I mean, she said she got it. She says she has it under control. I warned her this would happen. 
But at some point, like the gasping gets a little bit less, her head doesn't quite make it up out of the water as much. And it's like, okay, dad's here. And as soon as I pick her up out of the water, she's like, <sighs> she does one of those. And then she gets right back out of the pool, jumps in with full confidence again, and again and again and again. Man, I feel like that's been us. Where, and, and again, obviously you, you, can't, you can't miss the fact that we are in the middle of a pandemic, but as I've said before, whether it's a pandemic or some other crisis or tragedy or issue or concern or difficulty, there's always gonna be something that we're trying to tread water with, right? So that's what we're dealing with now, but it's always gonna be something. When this moves on, there's gonna be something else. And I see us react in that way when we first start out with full confidence. We've got this. I've got this. I'll figure it out. No problem. Like you jump into something and you think you've got it and you land and you're like, yeah, this isn't so bad. Like we're navigating this really well. Uh Uh-oh. Now it's not anymore. (laughs) Like you're fine until it's not. You've got it until you don't. And so then you start going into frantic mode of, okay, something's got to change. What is happening? And you try to go up and you try to get your head above water and you barely get a breath and, oh, I'm okay for just a little bit longer, but not for long. And you'll notice those times go less and less and less and less and less. And if you're not careful, all of a sudden, all you're doing is trying to just get a small little gasp of air until you just can't come up at all, until somebody's there to pull you up. I feel like that's us. Not just us as a church, not just all of us in the room or online, it's just, that's just people right now. I watched my daughter learn to swim, try to learn to swim, and with jumping off in full confidence, but landing and floundering. What I see is a three-year-old little girl trying to figure out what to do when she doesn't know what to do. She's trying to figure out how to swim when she doesn't really know how to swim. She's trying to tread water when she really doesn't know how to tread water. She's trying to breathe when she really doesn't know how to get her head above water. And us as people, that's that's what I'm seeing, and and me included in that. I'm seeing us trying to figure out like what to do and we don't know what to do. How to navigate these situations when we've never had to navigate these situations before. How to get some actual air to breathe when we don't feel like we've been able to do that yet. So I want us to tackle one thought, one kind of question. What do you do when you don't know what to do? That. When you don't know what else to do. I'm doing my best, but it's not really working. I'm trying to tread water. I'm trying to get up. I'm trying to keep my head above water. But what do you do when you don't know what else to do? In 2 Kings chapter 4, I told you we're going to look at a story with Elisha. Let me set up the story. So Elisha is now prophet. Elijah has gone up to heaven. Elisha answered the call. And here's one of his, not his first, but one of his first encounters very soon after he became prophet. 2 Kings chapter 4, here's the scene. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets. That means there's there's Elisha, and then there's like this group of other apprentices, if you want to think of it that way. So it's kind of Elisha and all these other company of prophets, these other prophets, these servants to prophets. It's a large group. The wife of one of those men came to Elisha, it says, one, uh, uh, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha. Here's her situation. Your servant, my husband, is dead. You know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as slaves. Put yourself in her shoes for a moment. She just lost her husband. 
and her husband was dedicated, dedicated his life to the Lord, had served Elisha and those before him. They probably didn't have a lot of money because they were, they were using that to help others and, and to kind of help this ministry continue to move forward. So here she's lost her husband. She doesn't have a lot of money. The debt that they had incurred, now that creditor's calling on their debts and she can't pay the debts, so the only other solution is this creditor is now gonna come and take her sons. In the blink of an eye, she's literally about to lose everything. What do you do when you don't know what else to do? Let's pray as we wrestle with that this morning. Jesus, we come before you and I would ask, I would pray that you would give us fresh eyes, fresh ears, a renewed heart, a renewed mind to hear from your word today. As we wrestle with that thought and that question of what do we do when we don't know what else to do, God, I pray that we don't allow our hearts to be downcast like we read earlier, but I pray that we would find hope in you because that's the only place. You're the only one that we can find hope. And even though all other things, people and things in our lives will disappoint us, you never will. So may we hear the hope of your voice and the hope of your word as we hear this story. Speak, Lord. We are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's go through this story. We're gonna see how this woman, who I picture her a lot like what my three-year-old looks like trying to swim, like, Elisha, I don't know what else to do, right? I'm about to lose everything. I've lost so much already. It doesn't look like it's getting any better. So what am I gonna do when I don't know what else to do. Let me read that first part again, and we're going to see several things that she does and that Elisha helps her with that I think is going to help us answer that question. Even when you don't know what else to do and you're trying to navigate and you're trying to swim, here's some ways that we can do something and, more importantly, do the right things. So once again, 2 Kings chapter 4, starting verse 1, the wife of a man from the company of prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead, and you know he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as slaves. We're going to chop this story up. We're going to go through it in, in, in order. We're going to highlight several things that she, either she does or that Elisha does that's going to help us. The first thing that she does, she comes to Elisha, remember what she did, and she cried out. She cried out to Elisha. Now understand this idea of crying out here. There's two words in Hebrew that speak to this idea of cry. One of them speaks to the shedding of tears, like mourning. That's ba'ak. It sounds like that's maybe even where we get the word ball. I don't know. It sounds like that. Ba'ak. That's where we cry and we're sad. But the word here is sa'ak, which is to plead for help to summon someone. It's this idea of I'm in a place of despair. By the way, despair is without hope. So here she is without hope, in despair, and she cries out, not tears of mourning and tears of sadness. I'm sure that's part of it. But specifically to Elisha, she says, I need help. I don't know what to do. I'm going to you because I'm hoping you can do something or point me in the right direction or give me some wisdom or just tell me something. Notice she doesn't even say, here's what I need you to do because she doesn't have a clue. She calls out, cries out, I'm in despair. I don't have hope. I don't know what to do. So the first thing that she does is she cries out. Now here's what you need to know. And specifically in the story, she cries out to Elisha. In the Old Testament, especially in the days of the prophets, people would go to the prophets 
to then go to God. So she's ultimately crying out to God, but using Elisha to help with that connection with God. Now, because of the new covenant we live in, that means post-Jesus, after Jesus' his ministry, his death on the cross, and his resurrection from the grave, guess what? We don't need a prophet to go through anymore. You don't need a, a pastor to go through. You don't need a priest to go through. You have a direct line and a direct connection with God. So here, this woman, she cries out to God through Elisha. Guess what we get to do? We get to cry out to God through no one else, just through us. Jesus is that for us, right? So we cry out to God. Very first thing we do, when we don't know what else to do, when our head is barely above water, what do we do? We cry out to God and understand that word there. It's not God, I'm so sad, and God, all this. Like, that's part of it. But yet, at some point, you have to transition to God. I just need you. That's what my daughter needs, right? When, when she's having a hard time swimming, at some point, I just need to grab her. I just need to hold her up. That's what crying out says. I cannot do this on my own. I cannot do this much longer, so I don't know what I'm asking for. I'm just asking for you. So we first, we cry out to God. I mean, I would encourage you, as we go through each of these, you might wanna take some notes or write these in your phone. Spend some time actually doing these this week. Spend time crying out to God, and that might be verbally to God, it might be you write them down, where you start to say, God, just, I don't know what else to do, but here's my situation. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's what I'm dealing with. That's all that this woman does. She goes up and she cries out and says, here's what I'm dealing with. She's not offering solutions. She's not saying, I need you to do this and I need you to do that. She's not pointing the finger saying, well, you did this and you did that. All she's saying is, here's what's happening. Oh, how about we go to God and we just say, here's what I'm dealing with. God, I need you. The first thing that we do when we don't know what to do is we cry out. Here's Elisha's response, verse two. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Now, I love it. He asked two questions. The first one, how can I help you? The second one, tell me what's in your house. Why is he asking both of those questions? Let me give you just my thought, and then we're gonna talk about that first question. Here's a woman that doesn't know what to do. She just laid out, what has happened and what's about to happen. And Elisha, this man of God says, well, how can I help? And I'm imagining if I'm in her position, I think that's my response. <laughs> Just like if I were to look at my daughter, she's doing one of these, Collins, what do you need me to do right now? <laughs> it's one of those. So I think Elisha quickly realizes where she's at and says, Let's start small, and we're gonna talk about that in a second. So tell me what's in your house, let's start there. So we'll get to that one. But he first says, how can I help? How do you want me to help you? What can I do to help? She went to the right person. When you don't know what else to do, you go to the right people. When you don't know what else to do, you go to the right people. You start crying to cry out to God, and then you go to the right people. Yes, there are right people to go to and wrong people to go to, but please, before you take that out of context, let me explain it. I'm not talking about good people and bad people. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the right people for who you need to go to. Husbands, I do not want you to answer this whatsoever, but I'm gonna convict you in your heart because I know it's true because I do this all the time. Have you ever said the phrase, or maybe you should have said the phrase, just go talk to my wife? 
There you go. It's mostly wives that laugh at that because they're like, no, yeah, he really should have said that. Anytime that happens with me, I realize it really quick. I'll be talking with somebody and, and that person, maybe they're trying to set up a time for us to hang out or they're trying to figure out our schedules or they're trying to figure out a play date with the kids or whatever. And I have to interrupt them. I'm like, hang on, hang on. That sounds great. And I would love to do that. But can you just talk to my wife about it first? And the reason is not that I don't want to. It's not that I can't make the decision. It's she knows what our life looks like so much more than me. She knows what our schedules are like, and she knows who's going where at what time, and she knows all of our plans. So you can talk to me about those things, or you can just talk directly to the CEO of our family, <laughs> and she can then figure out all the details, right? You go to the right person. Move me out of the way. See, so often we just go to whoever's there. Oh, that's dangerous. Well, you're there, so it must just be, you must be the right person because you're sitting there. I have Facebook up on my phone. That must be the right person to vent to because it's just so easy and it's right there. Go to the right people. How do you know they're the right people? Because they will respond exactly like Elisha responded. How can I help you? That should be one of the first things out of those people's mouths. You wanna know if that's the right person to go to? When you lay out your situation, their first response should be something along the lines of, how can I help? And if you don't have a good answer for that, then they're gonna do exactly what Elisha did and they're gonna, they're gonna start walking you through what to do next. So I, just, I encourage you to start thinking through. Again, maybe do this this week. Who do you go to right now? And I need you to decide in your heart, is that the right person? Like, again, we're not talking good person, bad person. We're talking, is that the right person for you to go to and have help you in this season? Because that might even change, right? In this season, I really need somebody like this. In this season, I really need this person. That's okay that those people change, but you've gotta be aware of who you're going to. So let me ask, think through it. Who do you go to when you're sick? When you're sick, who do you go to? When you're hurt, who do you go to? When you have a struggle, who do you go to? When you get bad news, who do you go to? When you get great news, who do you go to? When you're trying to make a decision, who do you go to? When you need help, who do you go to? Go to the right people. Let me give you a little tangent here for a second. This is, we're gonna talk a lot about this uh, throughout the next month in, October, in uh, August. Man, the months go by fast if I'm already thinking October. I did see, we were at Kroger and we saw uh, all the Halloween stuff out already. Anyway, here's what I would encourage you to really think through. Now, as I just went through all of those, who do you go to's? My guess is you've got names circling in your head, right? If not, in August, I'm gonna help you figure out how to find them. But right now, if you've got people in your head, most likely we all have a few people that we would say, no, like those are my go-to people, those are my people. Let me lean in and give you a way to take that to the next level, especially in the season that we're in and in church world, we'd be getting ready to launch all these different groups and helping you plug into life groups and all these other things. That's gotta look a little bit different this year, right? So you're gonna have to own this. Instead of the church saying, I'm gonna provide these groups for you, so go and sign up in the lobby. You're gonna have to own some of this a little bit. So the people that you just thought of, there's your group. Stamp it with a Mountain Lake Church logo if you need to, but there's your group. And here's what I want you to begin to do, three things. Here's how you spiritually lead those people right now. You pray for them. Straight up, you just pray for them. And you ask them, how can I pray for you? If you put those people that you just thought of in a group text and once a week you said, how can I pray for you? You're off to a great start. 
pray for them. Second one, you encourage them. Encourage is, is uplifting, it's beneficial, it's valuable. That doesn't mean it's never hard things to say. Sometimes we challenge people, but it's encouraging. You encourage those people, you spur them on. Hebrews 10 tells us to spur one another on towards good works and good deeds and love. So you do that. The last one, you share. You pray, you encourage, and you share. Two parts to sharing. One, you share some of you with them. And here, here's what I've been struggling with. Anybody else in this same boat? Here's what I read out of scripture this morning. Anybody think it? Give me some thoughts on this one. If you will do that, you put those people in a group text and you do those three things each week, you will see that group become your spiritual group, your faith group, if you will. And they can become your right people. All right, that's my little rant on groups and how you need to connect with people. All right, so we cry out to God. We go to the right people. Remember that second part of the question? Hey, how do you need help? How can I help you? And she's like, I don't know. So he asks her a very simple question. Tell me, what do you have in your house? Here's her response. Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little olive oil. So what do you have? I have nothing absolutely nothing. Didn't you just hear what's going on in my life? I've lost my husband. I have no money. My kids are about to be taken away from me. Elijah, were you not listening? I have absolutely nothing. On second thought, I do have just a little bit of something. I have nothing at all except a little bit of olive oil. Oh, we do that, don't we? I see this with my kids. I see this in our families where we say, well, what do you have? Nothing. There are no toys for me to play with in this entire house. Really? Hey, guys, what do you want to have for dinner? I don't know. We don't have anything. And I'm looking at the pantry. I'm like, well, like, you might not like those, but no, there's nothing in there. I've never heard this one in my house, so I just want to make sure this is very clear. I personally have never heard this in my house. Did you hear me say that? But I've heard that other people might hear this in their house. The phrase, I have nothing to wear. My wife has never said that before, ever, ever, ever. Now the 11.15 might hear a different story, but at 9.30, I've never heard that before. Oh, we have nothing. How would you fill in the blank for that? I don't have enough what? How would you fill in the blank? Like right now with what you're dealing with and how you're struggling and the concerns that you have, how would you fill in the blank? I don't have enough and how would you fill in the blank? Because that's what she's doing. I don't have enough of anything. I don't have anything at all. All except, I actually do have a little. See what the reality might be what she recognizes, what we probably recognize is, okay, I don't have a lot, but I do have a little. Maybe I don't have as much as I want, but I, I do have some. I don't think I have enough, but I guess technically I do have something. Here's what you need to hear, and here's what she recognizes. My not enough, what I think is not enough, is God's more than enough. Oh, come on now. What I think is not enough, what I think is too little, God looks at that and says, oh, I can use that. Oh, I've got that. Oh, you're about to see something incredible with that because our God specializes in doing a whole lot with a whole little. I mean, we see that Old Testament and New Testament, don't we? We're seeing it right here. If you know the end of the story, get ready. 
Because we see him do something a lot with a whole little. We saw this in the story of, remember, the loaves and the fish. It was five of loaves and two fish. Oh, I don't have much, but I've got something. And Jesus says, oh, it's plenty. And fed thousands with it. Gideon's army. God actually said, that's too much. So I'm going to whittle your army down until you think it's not enough so you can see how much I can do with it. David, this little shepherd boy, had a small stone and defeated a giant. Ephesians tells us that it's to him who can do immeasurably more than anything you and I could ever ask or imagine. Out of Jesus' mouth, he says, if you have faith the size of a what? Mustard seeds. Man, I don't think it's any smaller than that. My not enough is God's more than enough. When you don't know what else to do, you pay attention to what you have. You pay attention to what he has given you. It's not much. It's just a little bit of olive oil. Well, that's enough. Let's see what God does with it. We cry out to God. We go to the right people. And you take a good look at what God has already given you. And that's where it's going to start. So she tells Elisha, I don't have anything. Well, actually, I've got a little. I've got a little bit of olive oil. Here's what he tells her to do next. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. In other words, get a bunch. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put one to a side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were, say the word with me, when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. There's the miracle, right? There's God taking a little and doing a lot with it. There's the miracle of going from these empty jars to now they're full of oil. There's the miracle, but don't miss where the miracle started. Because oftentimes we're looking for a miracle, we're asking for a miracle, we're hoping for a miracle, but then it doesn't happen. So don't miss, again, the question we're wrestling with is, what do you do when you don't know what to do? Let me encourage this, because it's exactly the instructions Elisha gave. You act on what you know and you do what you can. That's where miracles start. You act on what you know. He gave her some very specific instructions. Go to your neighbors, get a bunch of these empty jars, ask your neighbors around, don't just ask for a few. Go home, shut the door. Like he gave her specific instructions. She says, okay, act on what I know. I don't know how this is gonna help me, but I'm gonna act on what I know today. She did what she could. It's like Elisha was saying, okay, you're in a pretty hard spot, I get that, so let's start small. Can you go and collect some jars from your neighbors? She's like, uh, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> you start with what you know. You do what you can. Can I encourage you to resist this, this thought that creeps in? Because it had to have crept in with this woman, and it creeps in in our lives as well. When you get the instructions, when you start looking at what you know and what you can do, there's something that keeps us from doing that and following through. You know what it is? I don't see how that can help. That sounds ridiculous. Why would I ever do that? That seems like a waste. Go back to her story. Elisha's telling her, what little oil you have, you're gonna pour it into these empty jars. That sounds ridiculous. Why would I ever use 
what little I have. You want me to give up what little I have already? I need you to go around and ask your neighbors for a bunch of empty jars. That's embarrassing. Like, I need to go and talk with them and ask them to give me something. I need to ask them for help. Like, you could think of all the excuses she would have had to say no thanks. But by saying no thanks, she would have missed out on an incredible miracle, right? So can I encourage you, as you start to look at what you know and do what you can, that you wouldn't let those thoughts creep in. Well, that sounds ridiculous to to serve at a time like this, to give in a time like this, to keep my mouth quiet at a time like this. I mean, you could go through the, well, that just doesn't sound right. I don't see how that's going to help. Well, man, act on what you know. Do what you can. Craig Rochelle, a pastor, a well-known pastor, he said this, stop waiting for what you want and start working with what you have. Man, that applies. Instead of just wishing and hoping, man, start with what you know. Do what you can with what you have. James 4, verse 17, we're reminded of this. Remember, I love that the word is remember. Like, it's not new information. It's just like, oh, yeah. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. So if you know what you're supposed to do, if it just sounds ridiculous, well, According to this, that's a sin. If you know what you can do, but then you decide not to do it at all, well, that's a problem. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and not do it. Let's hear the rest of the story. So we cry out to God, here's what I'm going through. I don't even know what to ask for help, but here's what I'm dealing with. We go to the right people, people that will say, how can I help, that are gonna walk you through this, side by side walk you through it, to pray for you, to encourage you, to share with you, and to challenge you. But we're gonna recognize that Man, I might not have what I want. I might not have a lot, but I've got enough for God to do something incredible. And then we do what we can based on what we know. Here's the last part of this, verse seven. So she, after, remember, she did all those things. She started going around getting all these empty jars. She saw God do an incredible miracle. Now she's got all of these jars that have been filled with oil. Verse seven, she went and told the man of God. She went and told Elisha, and he said, Go sell the oil, pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Here's what's interesting about that last part. She did not see the whole picture right from the get-go, did she? She's distraught, she's in despair, and Elijah says, how can I help? Well, let's start with what you have at home. Oh, you have some, you have some oil? Well, here's what I want you to do. Go get some of these empty jars and everything else and goes through the whole thing. He never said... Now, once you do that, then here's what you're gonna do. And here's how this is gonna help you. No, he doesn't give her the end of the story, does he? He just says, go and do this and watch God work. She does that, goes back to Elisha and says, great. Now, here's what you're gonna do next. Here's what you need to hear. It's one step at a time. It's one step at a time. This woman didn't know how getting empty jars was going to save her kids. She had no idea how that was gonna all connect. By the end, she did. By the end, she, oh, I'm gonna go and sell these. And notice this last part here too. Go sell the oil, pay your debts. Look at this last part, because that was the problem. Like that, he could have ended there. Go and pay your debts. Yay, my sons are saved. I've still lost my husband, but at least I have my kids. But notice this next part. You and your sons can live on what's left. Let me ask a question, and this is not rhetorical. I want you to answer back with me online and here in the room. Did God answer more than just what she needed help with? Yes. Did God provide more than what she just needed? Absolutely. 
She just needed enough to pay off these debts so that her sons could stay. He did that and said, by the way, I'm going to take care of you for the rest of your life. You and your sons can live on what's left for the rest of your lives. Trust God with your problems. We cry out to God. Oh, but you know what's more important than just God? Here's my problem. God, here's my problem. God, here's my problem. Is to trust him with your entire life. That's what he wants. And man, he'll provide for you and he'll take care of you and he'll lead you and guide you along the way, navigating. We're always gonna have a problem. But he is always going to be more concerned about your life than that itty bitty little problem. Doesn't feel itty bitty when we're in the middle of it. And he's like, really, you're more concerned about that? Man, I want your life. I want your entire life. Cry out to God. Go to the right people. Recognize what little you have is more than enough for God to do something with. Act on what you know and do what you can. That's where miracles start. And don't just trust him with your latest, newest, biggest problem. Trust him with your life. Out of this entire story, there's one word that stands out to me more than anything else. Elisha said, go around and ask your neighbors. Remember what kind of jars they were? What were they? Empty. We talk about empty like it's a bad thing. Oh, I'm so empty right now. I'm depleted. I've got nothing left. There's something godly about our emptiness. Because if it's not empty, think of what God can't put in there. If these jars were not empty, there would be no room to put the miracle oil in there. They had to be, not just need, not just should have been. Now listen, they needed to be, say the word with me again, empty. You're feeling empty today. You might have walked in here feeling empty thinking that was a bad thing. Can I tell you, you walk in here feeling empty, you're watching online and you're feeling empty. That gives God so much room to fill you up with him and not anything that we try to fill in our hearts and try to fill in our hearts because we feel empty and all of a sudden it's my job to try to fill me up. Instead, we come to God as empty as can be and we say, God, I cannot do anything without you. So fill me up. If you're not empty, pour it out today. Get empty. Because what he's going to do is so much greater. Ephesians, remember, more than anything you could ever ask or imagine. Let's do that together. At home and in the room, if you'll close your eyes with me, I want you to have a moment to get empty. I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what you need to pour out. Those aren't necessarily all bad things. There might be. There might be some addictions that you just need to pour out. There might need to be some bitterness that you need to pour out. There might need to be some resentment that you might need to pour out. There might need to be some selfishness, some pride. Go through the list that might need to be poured out. Maybe there's some good things that just need to be poured out. There might be some good intentions that need to be poured out. There might need to be some resources that God's blessed you with that just need to be poured out. I don't know what it is, but between you and the Lord, empty yourself. And trust him with your life. Jesus, we come before you bone dry. 
empty, depleted, poured out. Would you fill us up with you? Nothing of us, but fill us up with you. Life is full of problems, and God, you know every problem that we're facing. You know every concern on our heart. You know every decision that we're wrestling with. Every single day, it feels like something's changing and there's new problems to wrestle with, and that doesn't surprise you. So God, would you use each and every one of us in this season, in this moment, use us for your good and your glory and fill us up in a way we don't even know how to ask for. That is our cry out to you. The Father that loves us, the Father that chases after us, the Father that recklessly pursues us, continue to do what you are doing and fill us up. In Jesus' name, amen.